Get to know the truth and fight for the truth today on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Great to be with you and welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Well, today we begin a new series in Jude. Jude is going to be condemning a false teaching that had infiltrated the church. The opening part of the letter really gets us to think about who and what we are. Are we like the people Jude is describing or are we a genuine believer? Let's be encouraged to know the truth and fight for the faith as God would have us. Take your Bibles, open them to the book of Jude. It's right there before Revelation, the book of Jude. Uh, Only one chapter, and our first study in the book of Jude, I've entitled Fight for the Faith. Fight for the Faith. Jude is toward the end of the Bible. It's a small book. It's just one chapter, 25 verses, and a little over 600 words. But it's packed with powerful spiritual wisdom for believers of all ages And Jude was writing in times where false teachers were increasing and were proliferating and coming into the church, doing great damage to the precious flock, to the believers that had a sincerity about their faith. And he was writing in times where many believers were leaving the love of Jesus for some otherworldly pursuit. One of the studies we'll have is just focusing on that instruction to keep yourselves in the love of God. Why? Because so many were wandering away from the love of God from that place of safety and security. Judah's writing in times very much like our own. And he's calling us to stand for the truth, to stand for the truth of God's word and to protect the house of God against falsehood, to stand in the gap for fellow believers. And you'll notice when Jude began to write this letter, he didn't intend on writing what he ended up writing. The Lord changed his direction. He wanted to write a short note of encouragement that dealt with the common salvation of all believers. Notice with me in verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Remember what Peter wrote, that we are kept by the power of God. And here's another beautiful picture. We're preserved and protected in Jesus. He says in verse 2, Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So he he wanted to encourage them. That was his motivation as he started, but the Holy Spirit changed. He placed, the Holy Spirit placed a heavy burden and a heavy concern for the believers on his heart. Cults, heretical groups were denying the foundations of the Christian faith and undermining the love and faith and worship of many. 
Now, when you think of cults and heretics, I want you to think of in, the, in your mind blatant false teachers. They're not doing this by accident. Now, they may have stumbled into it. They may have been lied to. They may be deceived. But when, they come to, when someone comes to you with a false teaching, especially from a cult or some weird heresy, they do so on purpose. And they're not new to our culture. False teachers have been with us as long as, as long as truth has been established. There is always someone wanting to dilute the truth, to undo the truth, to undermine the truth. And like we see in the very beginning of the church, even going back beyond the church, in the Garden of Eden, the devil, the serpent is there doing what? Questioning the word of God, causing, creating doubt that the word of God, that what God said is true. And that's still with us today. It's our responsibility, it's your responsibility to know the truth and to fight for it and to contend for it. And that's really where Jude is as he writes this short letter. The burden that he has of believers being ripped off. And I think that's one of the first questions and the first prayer request you should have for yourself. Do you care about believers being ripped off and being distracted? Do, do you have a sense of concern for your fellow brother, your fellow, for example, in your own church family, let's say you sit in the general section uh, on midweek Bible study, you come to one of the services on the weekend, you sit in the same section generally, and you begin to notice even after the COVID stuff, and now we're gathering together again, that people aren't here anymore. Are you concerned not only that they're not here, you know, a particular person in, in specific, you go, well, you know what, I don't know their name, I didn't never met them. Well, that should even be a greater burden. If you're sitting with the same people and you're not meeting them and you're not really concerned about them and now you don't see them anymore, where is the care and concern for the church? Because I know if we don't have a care and concern for the people that are close to us, we're really not going to care about the world. We're not going to care about the lost. And that seems to be a theme that God's bringing our church back to as we study through the book of Acts, is a care and concern for the lost. But you know, it's also a care and concern right for us here locally, like who we're hanging out with, who we're serving with, the house of God. And so Jude says here in verse one, he says, Jude, a servant. Circle that word servant. It's the familiar Greek word doulos, doulos. Or you could translate it bond slave. Or again, that word referring to the under rower, as we've looked in previous studies. He, he describes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. Jude is a form of the Hebrew name Judah, or even a form of Judah to Judas. And the word in its root means to praise. His name means praise. And Jude identifies himself as he's writing this letter, not only as the author, but he identifies himself in that unique relationship with Jesus as a voluntary servant. That's what doulos is, a voluntary servant. And that's what he chooses to emphasize. He emphasizes that relationship as servant to Jesus Christ. Doulos, it's the words used about 120, 127 times is what I was able to count in the New Testament. And this was a title that's often used by Paul and others that they give themselves in saying, hey, look, this is who we really are. I mean, Paul the Apostle, like, like the superstar, if you want to use that language of the New Testament. But he doesn't identify himself that way. He doesn't latch on to that, what you see today in the church, that celebrity culture. Like somehow pastors are more important, they're higher, uh, in, in a different category than other people. In some respects, of course, 
pastors are in a different category in the responsibility that they have in overseeing the church. But no pastor is any better than anyone else. And certainly never in a million years identify a pastor as some kind of celebrity. Uh, we're not celebrities. We're human. We're men that are living life as unto the Lord. And because God has allowed some kind of breadth of ministry to a certain pastor, they're no better than you. You're no better than them. It's best for us to describe ourselves as a bond slave, as a doulos, someone who is sold out completely and voluntarily to his master. You know, those times when you're serving the Lord, you're starting to get upset about it. You're, you're mad about, oh, here I'm serving. Nobody's helping me. I don't want to do this. You know, you're just copping an attitude about serving. But remember, if you've identified yourself as a doulos, you said you wanted to do this. You volunteered. You, you, you said, yes, Lord, you own my life. Yes, Lord, this is my calling. This is what you've called me to do. Yes, Lord, instead of grousing and being upset about what's been placed before you. It's really a heart check, isn't it? That revelation, it's easy to say that we're servants of the Lord. We can all say it. Just say it out loud right now. I'm a servant of the Lord. You ready? I'm a servant of the Lord. Very easy to say. But you know the depth of your servanthood is when someone starts to treat you like a servant and just expect you to serve. And you know the depth of your heart as a servant when you don't get any human uh, appreciation. Like you do something and you're kind of expecting someone to say thank you and nobody says thank you. And you're like, whoa, what was I doing this for? And you can hear the Holy Spirit going, didn't you just say you were my servant? What, what is it about getting recognition? What is it about people seeing you? What is it about? I, I know what it's about. As I've dealt with that many times in my own personal life, I'll tell you exactly what it's about. Pride and arrogance. It's a form of pride that when we begin to serve to be seen by man, to have the accolades of men, to, to have the applause of men. And anyone that's ever enjoyed the applause of men know that it doesn't last very long at all. Jesus himself being the, the epitome of the perfect servant. In one moment in his life, you hear the cries of Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We're so glad you're here. We've been waiting for you. Messiah, Messiah, come and save us. Save now, Lord. And not too long after that, crucify him. Crucify him. Give us the murderer. Let loose a murderer in our community and kill the innocent one. Now our accolades and our approval is from the Lord. Would you hold your place here? We're going to turn quite a bit uh, in, in our study today. Would you go over to 2 Corinthians? This verse has come up a couple times now in the last few days, and I'm, I'm just so encouraged by it. I want you to be encouraged by it as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I want you to pick up there in verse 12. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. He had a very special relationship with them, a special relationship and a difficult one. The first letter was a letter of correction. This second letter is more of a pastoral. You know how we have those pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Well, 2 Corinthians is a pastoral epistle. It's really the heart of a pastor. Notice what he writes to the church when he says in verse 12, for our boasting is this. Okay, Paul, what are you going to boast? All your missionary journeys, all your writings, how many people love you, how many people follow you, how many people uh, extol you, look to you for wisdom, look to you for answers. What are you going to boast in, Paul? What, what is the boast of your life? Notice what it is. The testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity 
and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. We're not writing any other things to you than what you've read or understood. So now we trust you'll understand even to the end. Notice he says, as you also have understood us in part, that we are your boast as you are also ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. The longer Paul served, the more in tune he was with his humanity. The more he saw the glory of God, the more he recognized it was exactly as John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. Dulos. That voluntary commitment to serve Jesus. The doulos existed to please and serve his master. D.L. Moody once said, and I quote, the measure of a man is not how many servants you have, but how many men you serve. I thought, that's so good. It's not how many people serve you. It's how many people you serve. So if it's used a hundred times, over a hundred times in the New Testament, why is Jude using it so important? Why would, why would it be especially important to notice it here and pause in verse 1? Well, Jude, after a little bit of Bible study and a little bit of searching, you'll come to the conclusion, biblically, that Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. The half-brother of Jesus. The Bible teaches us very clearly that Joseph and Mary had no sexual relationship until after Jesus was born. Prior to the birth of Jesus Christ, they had not consummated their marriage through sexual relations. Jesus was virgin born. But after he was born, Mary and Joseph had regular sexual relations that led to other children. Notice with me in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. They look at Jesus and say, isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. The word brother and sister mean exactly what they sound like in the English language, in the English translation, in the original words. These are his physical relation, his brothers and sisters. Mary was not a perpetual virgin. She had normal relations within marriage and gave birth to other children that we would consider today half-siblings to Jesus Christ. And we know that prior to the resurrection, prior to his death and resurrection, Jesus' family didn't believe in him. And early on, they thought he was mad. They wanted to take him away and convince him, hey, stop this. But it was after his resurrection, and for the reference, John chapter 7, verse 5, it says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Even his brothers, I believe this would include Jude. But after his resurrection, his unbelieving family was born again, Jude being one of those who surrendered to his Savior, check this out, who was also his half-brother. It's amazing to think. And I'm sure that Jude treasured his brotherly relationship with Jesus, but even more, his spiritual relationship. But to consider himself a doulos also speaks to the humility of Jude. Because Jude could have written, I am Jude, you know the Jude, yeah, the one you thought, the half-brother of Jesus, so listen to me, pay attention to me, I'm right there, I am one step below Jesus, that's my bro, I grew up with him, I know him. We shared a home together. 
And you know how it is. I'm sure you've had people drop names before you to try to sound more important than they are. You have people that want to impress you by dropping a name here or dropping a name there. And, and really, the best impression you can make on this world is to be a faithful servant of Jesus. And Jude doesn't do that. He says, look, man, I'm, I'm just a doulos. That's who I am. I know who I'm related to. I, I, know, I, I know who I'm connected to. But the reality, the most important part of my life is not my blood relationship with Jesus, but his blood relationship with me. That's what's most important. That new identity. That, that's how we're to live our life. It, it's not what we have done for God. It's what God has done for us. It, it's not our response, but it's the initiation of what God has done for us. When you get that backwards, then you become very self-important in your own eyes. It, it doesn't really make a lot of progress in other people's lives because other people are not thinking about you as much as you think they are. They have their own lives and their own concerns. We don't want to be in the world on which we live today known as self-important, self-centered. We, we want to be known as the under rowers, the servants of Jesus. That, that is the right identity. We want to be known for our servanthood that connects us to the blood of Jesus Christ because we're born again. He, he, he writes, notice in verse 1, to those that are called, sanctified, by God the Father, and preserve. Great descriptions of the believers, those that are called. Those that are, this, this phrase is referring to those that have been called out of the world and into faith in Jesus Christ. For some of you listening to me right now, you have yet to repent of your sins. God is calling you now, using my voice, using his word, to call you away from your sin, to call you from this life that you've been living, to call you to repentance, to call you to life change, to humility. Those that are called and sanctified, that word literally means set apart. And that makes sense for a doulos. A doulos is set apart. He's got a new direction. She has a new focus in life. This word means set apart, to be used for special purposes. And then finally, that word preserved. For those that are under great duress, those that are under great trial, those that are being lied to, those that are be going after with false teachings, Jude just says, look, you're preserved, you're protected. The down payment of the Holy Spirit, you're going to make it. You're going to get through this. You're preserved in Christ, he says in verse 2, mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Just a beautiful, beautiful introduction. Verse 3, beloved. Again, another familiar word that Peter used a word that is okay to use in the body of Christ that you can genuinely, sincerely look someone in the eye and say, I love you in Christ. You can use the phrase beloved or beloved. I have a pastor friend of mine, Pastor Dave up in Fort Collins. That is the go-to word that he uses when, whenever we talk or when he's sending me a text, hello, beloved. And he uses it in all sincerity. He's a wonderful man of God. He an angel in the ministry that God is doing up in Fort Collins. It's a great word to use, but it's awkward, isn't it? We don't usually talk about our love for one another. And the world is so jacked it up and messed it up that, that it could be misunderstood. But there's a relational aspect to the body of Christ. And, and if you use the word beloved, you're using it in such a way where you're identifying yourself as someone that wants to serve the person that you love. You don't want to take advantage. True love of God doesn't take advantage of people. The true love of God serves and sacrifices for people. 
So if you truly want to use that word, just so you'll be reminded, no, what I'm introducing myself is my love for you as a brother, my love for you as a sister in Christ, and it reminds me that I've been put on the planet to serve you. Not to take from you, but to serve you. God's calling upon my life. We're just getting started in the book of Jude, and it didn't take long for us to see how timely and necessary a study like this is. So be sure to join us each day as we go through each verse on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Pastor Ed, in today's opening study of Jude, we were encouraged to fight for the faith. As you know, there are some today that are engaging in battles over what we might call non-essentials. Would you comment on that? Where do we draw the line when it comes to what we should fight for and what we shouldn't? You know, Larry, that's a great question. I'm so glad that you asked it because it is on the minds of most, if not all of us, even if it doesn't come to the surface, you know, what are non-essentials? What should we fight for? Should we fight at all? Are we to be pacifists? And if we take the lower road, then, you know, aren't we just giving up? And on and on the list goes, right? But but here, I, I'm finding the older that I get, Larry, maybe you feel the same way, but the older that I get, the more simple I want to live. And the more simple I want to live, I'm reading through the scriptures, wanting to crystallize the teachings of Jesus for my life. And the answer to this particular question for me, and it might even seem oversimplistic, but don't, you guys listening, don't allow this. Don't allow it to be just, don't just dismiss me, please, because, oh, that's so simple. But let the simplicity speak to you in the complexity of yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's the answer. You ready? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If I have a singular focus of worshiping God, he's going to put me into place and position of whatever battles he wants me to be a part of, whatever words he wants me to share, whatever position and posture he wants me to take, and I can trust him. So that means if there's a battle going on over there and I'm not involved in it, I can have a peace, a settled peace and contentment that the Lord doesn't want me in it. And if there's a battle going over here to my left, and, and God doesn't want me to be a part of it. I can have a settled peace and contentment that the Lord has me exactly where he wants me. And I was listening to a Bible study not too long ago by Pastor Jim Simula from Brooklyn Tabernacle, and he said something like this. It's not a direct quote, but it's the way I remembered it. we got to be careful not to fight the wrong battles with the wrong weapons with the wrong enemy. And I just take that, amen, amen, amen. Be careful, please, to not be fighting the wrong battles with the wrong enemies, with the wrong weapons, and just keep your eyes on the Lord, and let's fight for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the souls of men and women to be brought into a saving knowledge. Let's fight the spiritual battle, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and against every high thing that exalts itself from the knowledge of God. You know, we fight in the spiritual realm, not the physical. That is very helpful. Thanks again, Ed. Before we part ways, just a few things we want to tell you about. If you'd like to hear today's message again, log on to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, we're on the web at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also download our free app and access our teachings that way. Search for Ed Taylor or Calvary Church. Over the past couple of years, discouragement and depression have been on the rise. And maybe that would describe where you're at today. 
We have a book we'd like to recommend to you that can help. It's Struggling Under the Broom Tree by Bill Gem. Pastor Bill recalls the life of Elijah, someone who battled with discouragement and depression too. But God, in his faithfulness, brought him out from under the broom tree of despair. If God did this for Elijah, you can be sure he can do it for you too. Read all about God's rescue plan for discouragement in Struggling Under the Broom Tree. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. You might think of it as our way of saying thank you. You can do that by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, the number is 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is listener-supported, and each dollar that's sent in is an investment in God's work and responsibly used. You'll be helping people across the nation grow in their relationship with the Lord and, in some cases, come to faith in Christ. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Don't miss our next study with Pastor Ed Taylor. It's going to be a good one. That's right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora. 